Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So today, as I mentioned, we have a special episode. Uh, we haven't done an interview in a long time, it seems like. It's it's probably been, this might be the first one of 2021, if, if I'm not mistaken. So um, we are thrilled to welcome Michael uh, Agapito, if I um, pronounced that correctly. <laughs> um, uh, that he, was good. You, yeah. you might have seen him around uh, Twitter as the um, confessing millennial. Is that is that your sort of the name that you go by mm-hmm. on Twitter? Um, yeah, that's that's where you can find him, I believe. Um, so, without maybe any further ado, Michael, do you want to introduce yourself? Talk about um, maybe some of your background theologically and and what you do today. Yeah, uh, so uh, my name is Michael. Like you said, um, I live in uh, Central Illinois here uh, with my wife. Um, I um, am currently, I'm just recently actually um, an associate pastor of Baptist Church, um, of an American Baptist Church. I'm an American Baptist pastor. And uh, before that, I um, was in a a Christian student housing ministry on the campus of the University of Illinois for uh, a few years. Um, So yeah. Uh, still working on my MDiv, uh, myself actually. Um, and yeah, well, uh, was there anything in particular, anything else you wanted to know, Jens, or was that pretty good? No, I mean, that's, that's pretty good as far as a general life story background. Um, so the, the focus of this episode, maybe you've already gleaned from the title that we come up with, but we're, we're talking about deconstruction. Um, reconstruction, um, this idea of revangelical. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the idea of revangelical? What that means to you? What you um, are trying to accomplish when you use that word? Yeah. Um, so, uh, revangelical is obviously a play on the word evangelical, if you can tell. And um, what I mean, at least when I say revangelical, um, is kind of a reboot or revamping of what it means to be evangelical. So uh, when people here in, at least in America, think of um, evangelicalism, I think they typically think of um, white Republicans, right? Like kind of the culture war types, very partisan, uh, the moral majority slash religious right. And it's just become very, very uh, politicized um, in a way that I think a a lot of times obscures the gospel, which the word evangel means, right? Evangel in in the Greek uh, or euangelion means gospel or good news. Um, And so this idea of re-evangelical came when uh, a, a number of us, myself included, thought we have to kind of get back to our roots. We have to get back to the basics. And um, as kind of a student of evangelical history, I I could tell you that uh, when evangelicalism as a movement really started to gain steam and notoriety and uh, kind of make a name for itself, the the evangelical moniker at least, um, like it had been used as an adjective here and there throughout like American history, but like really as a movement 
in the ninth, starting in the 1940s with people like Carl Henry, Carol Dockengay, um, even even like Billy Graham, John Stott, um, they were reacting to uh, theological liberalism on the one hand, so denials of the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the resurrection, miracles, all that. But they were also reacting against like uh, a very hardline conservative um, fundamentalism that tended to be kind of anti-intellectual, tended to disregard matters of social justice, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted to pave a third way or a third option. And um, so that's kind of the, the story of, uh, at least for me, what it means to be re-evangelical. It's kind of a retrieval back to that original vision. And I think it's worth saying and admitting that um, the reason that evangelicalism right now, um, at least white American evangelicalism, is so politicized is because we have made a lot of mistakes along the way and a lot of missteps. And I don't think we need to um, disregard that. I think we can own that and continue to chart a better path forward. Um, so that's kind of the broad overview. The, the story behind that. Um, is uh, I can't exactly take credit for the term per se. I'm, I'm kind of the one that popularized it somewhat unintentionally, but my friend Ian Harbour, whom you guys might, well, you guys probably know about, um, he, uh, talking about deconstruction, um, he grew up kind of in the, uh, he, well, he grew up in Texas, um, enough said. So he grew up in kind of this uh, Bible Belt conservative evangelical milieu. Um, and uh, went through the phase de of deconstruction, which I'm sure we'll talk about even more. Um, but he actually, over time, because of the witness of, you know, a few just faithful Christians and ministries, um, reconstructed back to an Orthodox evangelical faith that didn't look like exactly like the conservative evangelicalism of his upbringing uh, in terms of what I described earlier. It, you know, it, it took, um, it cared about things like social justice and racial justice and whatever, but it also wasn't kind of this uh, um, Christianized form of progressive secular humanism, right? Um, so anyway, he, he um, wrote an article uh, about his journey, which became very uh, famous or infamous, depending on where you land and very, uh, uh, got a lot of notoriety and, and went viral for a few days uh, just before the pandemic happened, actually, and then everyone forgot about it. But he actually, um, he didn't exactly coin the term evangelical, but this was whenever the whole deconstruction exvangelical movement was well underway. And so he referred to it kind of cleverly as his evangelical story. And uh, him and I had struck up a friendship um, through Twitter um, at this point, unbeknownst to us, we had actually been taking a lot of the same online classes in seminary. And uh, he asked me what I thought about the term. And for a while, I i mean, I was amused by the term, but otherwise actually kind of indifferent. But the more I thought about it as someone who does identify for better or for worse as an evangelical and had kind of having the background that I have with evangelical history, the more that I thought about it, the more that I felt that that's exactly the kind of thing that we need right now because we're in a very similar situation i think that the quote-unquote neo-evangelicals were in the 1940s in the sense that people are either um quote-unquote deconstructing deconstructing you know tossing out orthodox christianity 
um, and throwing the baby out with the bathwater and completely walking away. Um, or they're kind of digging their heels into a, you know, a, a form of conservatism that doesn't necessarily equate with like theological conservatism, but is more politicized and um, uh, so on and so forth. So that's kind of the story, the narrative behind uh, Revangelical. What, what happened was um, after kind of having thought through that, I took the Revangelical label and I just kind of ran with it on Twitter. So I used it in hashtags to kind of describe this like new um, version of Evangelical Christianity, which isn't really new if you've been listening to what I've been saying right. this entire time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I started to use it as a hashtag and it actually started to gain a lot of steam and traction, which I kind of didn't really anticipate, but a lot of people resonated with it. And um, it gave me the impression that there was a lot of uh, restlessness or what Carl F.H. Henry um, in the 40s might have called a, an uneasy conscience and, hmm. you know, modern evangelicalism about, hey, um, we care about certain social justice issues, but we want to hold on to Orthodox Christianity or we want to hold on to Orthodox Christianity. But on the other hand, we do care about, you know, uh, racial justice and, you know, uh, immigrants and the poor um, and a lot of things that I think our partisan categories don't allow a lot of nuance for. Um, so that's the story behind it. I could go further into uh, the whole revangelical thing. I think the only thing I would, the only other thing I would share is that I've kind of delineated five R's, if you will, of revangelicalism. One, retrieval. So kind of going back to the past to, you know, which I know you guys are big on to kind of chart a better way forward. So number one, retrieval. Uh, two, reformation. You know, evangelicalism in America, I think, is in need of desperate reformation. Three, repentance for the ways that we have failed to, um, you know, stand up for racial justice or uh, uh, marginalized sexual abuse victims or um, even, you know, as people uh, that hold on to a traditional historic Christian sexual ethic, um, even marginalized LGBTQ persons uh, to a certain extent or, you know, made them feel other and not love them. So repentance, uh, reconstruction, which we're going to talk about here, I'm sure in a little bit, reconstructing to a healthy orthodox evangelicalism that does care about social justice. And then um, number five, revival, you know, which has always been part and parcel of the um, evangelical tradition. Um, so that's a very, very broad overview. Yeah. I know it was long, but no, that's, that's kind of the, the bird's eye view. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Something that, I, go ahead, Lucas. I was just going to say, I kind of already want to go off script a little bit. Um, Let's do it. J just uh, something that came to mind. Uh, you mentioned exvangelical, like, yeah. you know, that kind of, I don't know how prevalent people are using that term nowadays. Uh, but I remember, you know, a year or two ago, like you mentioned when it was kind of all the rage for, um, you know, major evangelical celebrities to kind of like come out quote unquote as ex-evangelical or for more traditional or, or conservative or orthodox, uh, you know, people online and, and podcasts and videos that I would watch and listen to, they would sit, they would kind of be like, everyone had an episode on like responding to ex-evangelicalism, right? Um, so I'm kind of curious if you can maybe speak to a little bit, and I know that this is, I don't, this is a huge question. We're going to get into some of the details with some of the other things we want to talk about, but 
right off the bat, I would kind of, I, I, I see sort of re-evangelical as a, um, like the inverse of ex-evangelical, right? So you, your fate, you know, you have this certain upbringing or you come to this crisis where the traditional American evangelical faith that you once held or thought you held comes face to face with something, right? Whether it's issues of racial justice or other social justice issues or theological issues that you come to or whatever it might be, personal struggles, whatever. Um, it seems like there's sort of, there's probably more than these two roads, but these seem like two possible roads where you can, you can, you know, exit out of evangelicalism. And, and typically I think when I see people say that really it's exiting out of Christianity or at least any sort of historic um, orthodox form of Christianity or what I hear you explaining when you explain the term evangelical, really it, it's not like staying put or doing the same thing again or recycling that, right. that traditional American evangelical way of being a Christian, but it's, it's in, uh, enriching it. It's, it's uh, renewing it um, by those five R's that you mentioned. So I wonder if there's maybe even just one or two things that could, you could maybe like specifically contrast between maybe just the um, like the, Oh, what's the word? The, the disposition of a revangelical kind of way of looking at reshaping faith versus an ex-evangelical way of looking at that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, um, I, you know, ex-evangelical uh, some people, here's the thing with the ex-evangelical, it's a really broad movement. So I think some people would still identify as Christians and some people really don't like they're basically agnostic now. Um, but a lot of ex-evangelicals tend to um, kind of, they, they uh, identify uh, with progressive Christianity. And I, I don't necessarily mean progressive in a political sense, but um, although that's definitely part of it, but uh, also progressive in a theological sense, you know? The, um, so for example, a big, uh, a big influence, I think, and, um, ex-evangelical circles as someone like Richard Rohr, right? Who, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to be careful on, like, when I name names, but, like, you know, his conception of the universal Christ and um, things like that is just very different from the historic and biblical Christian tradition. Um, and, you know, I, we don't have to go into the weeds of that, but that's an example of it. Um, and so, basically... Uh, and, and then people like, you know, I, I think like Rob Bell would be another good example of someone who has been uh, a huge influence on the deconstruction crowd. Um, the, the difference, to answer your question, the difference between that and revangelical is that um, we do, uh, the way I see it, revangelicals hold very firmly to the creedal tradition, right? So the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Um, which I, I realize uh, maybe not even all evangelicals uh, might necessarily be, be familiar with, but the content, right, they're definitely familiar with. Um, we do take the deity of Christ seriously. We do take um, the exclusivity of Christ uh, seriously, the need for repentance, the final judgment, you know. On the other hand, uh, we, um, 
we do care about, like, like I said, certain issues of uh, social justice. So whether it's racism or um, treating immigrants and refugees well, immigration reform, um, and, uh, sexual abuse victims, uh, the economically poor, you know, um, we don't view that as exclusive, or we don't view that as uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum of Orthodox Christianity. It's kind of a both and for us. And, and like I said, although we um, hold to, a, a, a by and large, hold to a traditional um, Christian sexual ethic, we do own up to the fact that the church oftentimes has done a really kind of, you know, pardon my French, but like piss poor job of loving LGBTQ per persons. And how can we do that in a way that doesn't compromise our beliefs, but also uh, show compassion, you know, and understanding to um, to that community, uh, the the and campaign, which is a Christian organization, likes to use the motto "compassion and conviction." So, um, did did that answer your question? Yeah, or, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really helpful. Um, like you mentioned, kind of when you first heard the term, you kind of thought it was like, oh, it's a nice term, you know, it's catchy. But like, I think it is helpful you know, as silly as, as, you know, like these kind of new words might sound on their own, when you have, you know, it, it is helpful to have something like there are, there is a thing that people say ex-evangelical and it is helpful to set those up next to each other where it's like, it, I think it adds clarity and it's yeah. helpful to be right. like, yeah, like there are people who are ex-evangelical, we're re-evangelical. There are people who are yeah. experiencing this process of deconstructing and we want we want to look at what it means to reconstruct and and it's sort of yeah. I feel like it's really helpful to not just explore the like the, the the deeper questions related to that sort of two ways of dealing with those those questions but also just to um, be clear and, and be like yeah you know we are on a similar journey as people in this day and age in this society. Um, but we're, we're answering these questions yeah. from a different posture. Right. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to give the impression that I've never felt any sort of ambivalence with the evangelical label. Right. Cause I definitely have, you know, definitely in the past uh, four to five years with the political climate. Right. Um, but, but having really thought through it, I, I just, at the end of the day, I've always just felt the sense that there is something there, you know, to the 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 title and namesake evangelical, and um, and and so the idea behind evangelical is, um, you know, kind of just finding ways to to redeem the title, you know, in in a sense that in the sense that um, it might not be your mom and dad's brand of evangelicalism, but it's still a, a version of Orthodox historic Christianity um, with a care for the vulnerable and marginalized and, and oppressed and whatever. Um, and well, by the way, for the record, for for uh, conservative listen, listeners listening in, um, that does include also the unborn, you know, just mm -hmm. FYI. I don't think, once again, it has to be an either or. I think it's both. And, right. um, but yeah, sorry, Jens, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. I, I just, what's really interesting to me in this, in this whole conversation and I think in some senses, Lucas and I can, you know, be examples and attest to this, but in some sense, it seems like a lot of people are deconstructing and that looks very different for a lot of people. Like me personally, I've even 
the longer that I've thought about it, the, the more that I've read, um, especially over this last year with COVID, with racial issues, with political season, you know, with all these things, um, I've recognized in myself areas in which I've like deconstructed, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I think the difference in, in myself and, and probably in Lucas as, as well is um, rather than deconstructing to lose my faith or to walk away from my faith, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Um, I've personally been somebody who's had to deconstruct certain things um, to then reconstruct, as I think we're saying here, um, you know, proper biblical, historic, orthodox Christianity. Um, As somebody who, you know, grew up in a very, you know, typical American evangelical world, um, I've begun to recognize and realize like where we have greatly erred, where we've not loved the marginalized, where we've um, placed an emphasis on things that are um, superfluous and just insignificant at best. Um, And so maybe, um, you know, with all this talk of of deconstructing, you know, I think, I I feel like in this moment, deconstructing is used maybe more than ex-evangelical right now. Maybe that's not a fair assessment, but um, it seems like every week or so we're getting some new, like Lucas mentioned, you know, this CCM artist or this pastor or whomever. Um, do, do you have an experience with with deconstructing um, to maybe reconstruct? Mm. Do you like? Do you have any sort of um, like? What does your own life look like? Uh, I would say, in the sense that I definitely do, um, in the sense that I grew up in kind of your token American, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, white evangelical spaces and whatever. Um, and I, I do think that there's a healthy version of deconstruction in that, in which what you deconstruct, quote unquote, is um, a version of cultural Christianity that is syncretistic with maybe certain forms of Bible Belt conservatism or, or whatever. Um, and so, uh, and, and so anyway, yeah, I think there's a healthy way or version to, uh, to deconstruct, um, and, and since you're deconstructing a, a cultural version of Christianity and finding out what's actually biblical Christianity. Um, for, for me, my story, uh, it, it's kind of along those lines. Um, I, for the record, I, I refer to my experience probably more like a renovation and a relatively extensive renovation at that. But I think when, when a lot of people in the deconstruction crowd, they talk about deconstruction, they, they're actually talking about complete demolition, you know, and I, I don't think that's necessarily what's needed all the time. Well, I, I don't think that's what's needed necessarily. Um, and, and I will say that the deconstruction crowd often actually tends to be kind of, dare I say, dogmatic about what counts as deconstruction and what doesn't count as deconstruction. So for example, whenever I or my friend Ian, you know, talk about our experience with deconstruction, um, and you know, I think there are varying levels of deconstruction. We've been flagged by a lot of evangelical deconstruction types by saying that's not actual deconstruction, which is kind of ironic to me because, you know, they're all, because one of the responses that I would get is, who are you to say what deconstruction should or shouldn't like? Um, you know, deconstruction is merely, you know, uh, it's up to the individual and, and their own journey. And I would be, 
my response to that, um, not necessarily in public or on Twitter, but at least in my head would be, well, aren't you telling me what deconstruction should or shouldn't like? You know, it's very, it's very much kind of into the postmodern milieu and ethos that our culture is in. Um, uh, okay, so back to my story really quick. Basically what happened was, um, and, I, and I shared, I've shared this in other podcasts before, but uh, I, so I grew up in an, an, a token evangelical background, um, went to college at the U of I, majored in psychology, got my master's at Wheat College in counseling. And um, what happened, it was actually in Wheaton that I think my faith began to take the shape that it is, that it is in today, um, because uh, on the one hand, I had to take, um, even though I was a counseling major or counseling masters, I had we had to take theology classes, and I was exposed really to you know um, a lot of rich uh, historical theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, um, and so my faith was really enriched. But on the other hand, I was meeting Christians through. Um, you know, that came from throughout the uh, country and throughout the globe that had um, saw things different than, you know, a lot of my kind of Bible Belt evangelical background. They, um, uh, they had a, they had a, a different way of seeing the world in terms of certain issues of justice while still being very anchored in, t- in a biblical worldview. And, and so um, I, I began to see they, you know, they kind of um, implicitly challenged a lot of my presuppositions. I met a lot of black brothers and sisters in Christ, brown brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, um, and that just really enriched my, my perspective. And then the 2016 election happened. And that I think between all of that, that was when I think I began my, you could call it a deconstruction. You could also call it a renovation, like I said, but I, I had to like really think hard, you know, about like, it, is what I believe actual biblical Christianity or is it, you know, a cultural baggage that I inherited from, you know, my uh, background or my uh, my previous church background or, or whatever. Um, so that was kind of my experience with deconstruction. Like I said, a lot of, Ex-evangelical deconstruction types would say, "Well, that's not really deconstruction." Um, but on on the other hand, like my friend Ian, you know, he went through a what I consider to be a legitimate process of deconstruction, and still came out on the other side as a reconstructed, you know, re-evangelical. I think both him and I would say that our brand of evangelicalism. And by the way, after the 2016 election, I, I had to ask myself, do I want to still identify as an evangelical? And at the end of the day, I decided with qualifications, yes. But Ian and I, our brand of re, uh, evangelicalism isn't going to look like necessarily what we grew up with, but there's, it's still rooted in, in the Bible and the Creole tradition and the history of the church and the church fathers and reformers and whatever so yeah did that answer your question yeah no that was good lucas do you have any any thoughts after after that no i mean i think that it is interesting to like you you kind of give some i think helpful distinctions on when people talk about deconstructing something and this would apply to more than just christian faith but are, are we are we really just demolishing something are, are we just destroying you know things that 
we're familiar with for the sake of it or because we think they're outdated, you know, like what does it mean to deconstruct something? And, and particularly what's our goal? Like you say, are we, are we deconstructing these things that are really just sort of artificial, you know, baggage or hangups that aren't actually part of our worldview, philosophy, religion, whatever? Are we deconstructing things that are central and in the process creating a new faith at the end of it? Um, whether that's something like denying the virgin birth or, you know, all those things that we've seen time and time again throughout church history, not just in this context. But um, I think it is interesting. And I think that when we do start to make those distinctions, you know, it, it, it requires more nuance than social media either cares about or allows for. Yeah. But it is, I think, a much more helpful discussion if we're really interested in, you know, pursuing the faith and um, deepening our relationship to Christ and his church, because there are always going to, you know, we're, we're humans. We live in a human world that's fallen. We're always going to have things that do need to be deconstructed and reformed and changed and brought back into line with what it is that God has revealed to us and that we've received, um, you know, the faith once delivered to the saints. So I think that, I think that is helpful to think about, like I said, with a little more nuance, with a little more, um, grace, even potentially, whether that's grace for ourselves or grace for others, um, and recognize the importance of evaluating those structures that we're a part of in terms of our church traditions or our individual congregations or parishes our theological traditions, our, our cultural traditions, and, and ultimately prioritizing those things under God's word, not prioritizing them over or conflating them or, or anything like that. Um, and sort of along those lines, I guess, um, another important and good question, like you, you, I think you've brought a few up so far, but Michael, what do you think are like the it may be the most important problems or the most significant or the most common problems that lead to this deconstructing. Um, if, if we're looking at kind of our own cultural context, which is, you know, limited to just our own experience, but what, what do you think is a common sort of like catalyst for this sort of response of deconstruction as opposed to reconstruction? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's actually changed in the past 20 years, uh, probably at the turn of the millennium or turn of the century. It was, you know, very like new atheists. So like Richard Dawkins and whatever, um, you know, questioning the scientific validity of the Bible. I don't think that's where our culture is at anymore, actually. Um, I think now these days it's more about issues of justice or injustice and the failure of the church oftentimes to speak up on issues of uh, injustice. Um, I think it's a lot of hypocrisy on the the part of our uh, churches and church leaders a lot of times. Um, uh, you know, things like sexual abuse, uh, it turns out, is not just prevalent in the Catholic church, but in a lot of evangelical churches as well. And um, even if it's not you know, abuse per se, it's authoritarianism or what have you. So a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of judgmentalism, um, things like that. It's more about issues of praxis rather than issues of like science or, or things like that. And I think a lot of people are um, 
seeing that from the church and from Christians and are questioning <laughs> how could this be true if it's not actually resulting in changed lives. Now, for the record, there's a lot of great stuff going on in, you know, our churches as well, but I don't think um, there's a reason that I think the church right now, the American church, at least, is being called out for a lot of our failures, and and I think that's a good thing, so. Well, maybe related to that, maybe we don't have a good answer to this question the more that I've thought about it. because like you're saying, churches are part of the problem, but um, what do you think churches can do? Like what, what is the path forward? Like how can we help correct or um, what can churches, what do you think churches can do to better walk alongside people that are deconstructing? And, and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe X church down the road was the problem church that led someone to deconstruct, you know, whether it was hypocrisy or, um, some other failing. And uh, so they, you know, there's suddenly like a crisis of faith. Um, so what does it look like for churches, for Christians to to walk alongside brothers and sisters who are on that road to deconstruction, whether it means complete obliteration of faith or whether it means, I think, renovating, like you said, what, what does that look like? I think churches need to do a better job of being just a safe place where people can ask genuine legitimate questions you know and and not be afraid to ask questions or express their doubts and we do need to be clear on you know what we believe and and who we are and kind of plant our flag in the ground and say this is what we believe but on the other hand we don't want to just uh, shut down individuals that a lot of times you know are hurting or maybe their friends are hurting and they have a lot they have a lot of genuine questions and I think that was uh you know my friend Ian's experience you know and and actually it was my experience you know I the reason I don't think I went all the way in deconstructing was because I was in a actually a really good evangelical community in Wheaton College that we were able to talk about these things and walk through these things and whatever um and of course now the hope is uh because because you want to say this is what we believe and this is why we believe it and the hope is they can come around to that um, it's not going to happen all the time, but at the very least, you know, we're, we can mirror what it means to be a, you know, to be uh, shepherding and pastoral and, and whatever. So I think that's one thing a little bit more practically churches can do. I think the American church by and large, we have to um, be, we have to listen more to to people of color, to Christians of color, especially, you know, uh, black and brown voices. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said famously uh, several decades ago now that 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. And actually, if you look at the stats, that's still very by and large true. Now, it's also true that um, most of the multi-ethnic churches are actually evangelical, but they still have very much like this kind of white culture they um, and then there, of course, there are uh, numerous churches in our country that um, that uh, are very homogenous and you know um, uh, in their you know population. And so, the reason I bring that up is because I think the reason that a lot of people are deconstructing is because we haven't necessarily been we haven't learned the evangelical the white evangelical church hasn't 
necessarily learned from, you know, other Christians of color, you know, black brothers and sisters in Christ, brown brothers and sisters in Christ. I think if we did, we would have a lot less of the baggage that we have now. So that's kind of a more macro view. But I th those are two things that, you know, come off the top of my uh, head. And I think if people, quote unquote, deconstructing, saw that we were actually making an effort to do that, I think they would think twice before they, you know, um, toss, well, walk away from their faith. Mm -hmm. So Related to that, um, you touched on the idea of, of race and maybe even a little bit of ra racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, or a word that I actually saw recently in a book, um, Mark Charles has a book called um, Unsettling Truths. I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast recently, but it's about um, colonialism, um, the doctrine of discovery. But he, he posits that there is no such thing as racial reconciliation because to have racial reconciliation is to imply that there was a, re a relationship to begin with, to be reconciled. Um, he, he likes to use the term racial conciliation um, to say that, you know, these, these two, you know, or, or several, many ethnic groups that have um, had such great disparities in especially the history of America. Um, I guess my, my question to you, what, what does racial conciliation, or if, if we want to use just a popular term, racial reconciliation, um, what, what does that, what does that look like? Like how, um, maybe for you personally, for, for people that you know, like what does it look like to um, have genuine conversations with people of color with, um, I don't know, like you mentioned, uh, like listening to, uh, to the voices of our black and yeah. brown brothers and sisters in our country and around the world. Like, how do we, how do we start doing that? Well, I don't think it looks like just listening to the, you know, um, black and brown voices that you, you want to, or that happen to agree with your political persuasion, whether it's, um, and, you know, I will name names here, you know, a, a Candace Owens or a Thomas Sowell, you know, uh, not that they ha never have anything to contribute, but, th but then you're also, you're using them against, you know, a huge portion of the black community. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think that's right. Um, because you've had uh, black Christians, especially talk about the things that they've experienced both individually and as a community. And we haven't, you know, uh, the American evangelical church by and large, I, I don't think has really done a great job of listening to them. So I, I don't think it looks like just, I, I think what it does look like is um, allowing, centering the voices of people of color, but in a way that's not just tokenism, you know, not a way, not a way to just prop them up and say, oh, hey, look, look at us, we're multi-ethnic, but giving them, you know, positions of leadership, letting them speak into these major issues and, and not just speak into these issues, but chart a better path forward, you know, um, and uh, so giving them these, you know, uh, uh, letting them come, um, coming alongside of them and, and what they're doing in, their, in the churches and in their communities and et cetera. Um, yeah, I just think it's a very, it's been a very missed opportunity, I think, in American evangelicalism that we haven't, we really haven't done a great job of doing that. For the record, if you look at the Black Church in America, um, if you're to measure evangelical, you know, evangelicalism by beliefs and doctrine and, and whatever 
they're they have they hold to evangelical beliefs right like and we do share a common heritage when it comes to like you know revivals and and the awakenings and whatever um they're by all accounts they're um evangelical by theological definition but the reason that they don't like the term is because it's been politicized it's been co-opted by you know the majority culture um and so even though they might be evangelical by belief, they recognize that evangelicalism uh, ha- is also a socio-cultural phenomenon. Um, so basically, I think we need to like do a better job as a whole, as a church of partnering, you know, um, with uh, black churches and, and um and uh, Christians of color. Um, now, what that looks like, I think that's a whole, you know, another conversation. But if we can at least orient ourselves toward that, then I think we could go a long way. That's great. I think that's really helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, I forgot to look at the clock when we started. So I don't want to like take too much of your time. But I don't know if there's anything else that maybe we haven't touched on or, or that our questions haven't, haven't touched on that, that comes to mind that you'd want to, that you want to share, be that, be that resources, be that books, you know, people to listen to pastors, churches, you know, movements, whatever, you know, anything, anything else that sort of comes to the top of your mind that we haven't touched on when, when, when it comes to this topic of, of reconstructing and evangelical and, and uh, what it means to sort of, renovate and renew the, the the evangelical way of being a christian in our american society today yeah um so when you guys asked me the question earlier of what resources do you recommend um in terms of reconstruction uh i actually realized i i was struggling to think of them because i think actually in the church in america we still kind of have we still have a dearth of those re- resources we we're not there yet um and i think we need to i do think we need to work on that um so uh and for me kind of once again going back to my story uh my story was that i was surrounded by a christian community that helped me think through these things that helped me walk through these things and um i think churches just need to to be that community to other people um, now the catch 22 is they, you know, they could use those resources to begin with, you know, and I think that's kind of trying the niche that I'm trying to, um, chart with, uh, evangelical, but I honestly, I think we just need more of those resources. Um, if I were to try to share, you know, some of them, um, so I know, so the organization that I mentioned earlier, the and campaign, um, it's very, you know, like, uh, minority led it's um uh you know uh nonpartisan. so it, it kind of it holds on to kind of you know traditional um historic biblical uh doctrine but you know they they're also they make a point to um to say that christians need to be active in areas of, of racial justice or economic justice or, or whatever um, i think they can really speak to you know our generation Another one is uh, the Jude 3 Project, a largely um, black Christian or, yeah, a largely black Christian ministry that um, it's very multifaceted. They do things like apologetics, but they're, you know, they're very, it's very anchored in 
in the Bible and in historic Christianity, but they also, you know, um, because uh, it's um, centering Black Christian voices, they're also very cognizant of issues of, of justice. Um, in terms of other material books, um, Tim Keller's Generous Justice, uh, Rebecca McClellan, I think, ha um, has a book called Confront Confronting Christianity. Um, and then another book just recently came out um, by Dan Kimball um, called How Not to Read the Bible. I think, you know, resources like that, those are good for people that are either deconstructing or on the verge of deconstructing. Um, so those are a few things that I can think of just off the top of my head. But I stand by what I said just a minute ago, which is I think the church needs to have more <laughs> resources. Well, and actually one more plug, uh, Ian, my friend Ian Harbour that I've mentioned numerous times already, he's doing a lot of that. He, uh, I think he has a podcast called Faith Reconstructed where he's talking with, you know, people that, you know, um, have addressed deconstruction, reconstruction. So um, he just had an episode with Gavin Ortland, which was very good. I listened yeah. to that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And Gavin and I, by the way, we're, we're, we're kind of friends. We, you know, we've talked to each other um, a couple, uh, like a, a few times and uh, solid guy. So yeah. anyway, he, yeah, he, he's, um, he, Ian is really doing a lot of great things on the front of deconstruction, reconstruction. Hmm. So um, I would say uh, keep your eyes open for what he's doing and, um, so shameless plug and much love for my brother, Ian. There you go. Yeah. And I, th this is also off script a little bit, and, and this is a, an idea that I've toyed with for a long time. I, and I, I don't even know what I mean by it, but, um, in, in my mind at times, it seems like, it seems like to have any sort of real, holistic change and maybe i'm just naive because maybe there never will be a whole change across an entire country like america but in my mind we we almost need a reformation like an actual like large grand sweeping reformation to to see actual real um overarching change like obviously change is good where change is going to happen if, if if one church at a time very slow prodding pace if, if that's the change and that's what we're going to see that's amazing it's change that it's going to be beneficial it's going to be good um i don't know i i don't even know what question i'm trying to ask no yeah we... well and just to bounce off of that that's why i included the idea of reformation and mm -hmm. you know my five r's because i think we are kind of in one of those watershed moments right um here's the Thing that i cling to jesus promise in matthew when he tells peter and the disciples um on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and so um the church has been around for two thousand years and we've had a lot of you know we failed a lot and we've stubbed our toe and tripped on ourselves and we have a lot of we've made a lot of mistakes hmm. um and yet God still works through that and works through, not just works through us, but works in, in spite of us. And so I'm always keeping my ear to the ground of what is God doing right now in the church in spite of everything, hmm. you know? And, and so, and when I look at, you know, the course of church history from the early church up to now, I see that, you know, God, um, you know, I'm sure you guys are big on Augustine, you know, like he, he wasn't perfect. Martin Luther wasn't perfect, but like, you know, he's worked through, you know, our, uh, 
flaws and faults and and i i do i i firmly believe he's still working in the church even here in america hmm. so um and and a lot of times yeah that requires the reformation but um but for me it's kind of tapping into that and keeping my finger on the pulse of what's god doing in the church right now yeah and that was good well, Lucas, is there anything else you want to add? Any closing remarks before we start wrapping up? No, I know. I don't think so. Other than just a, a thank you to Michael. And, and I think this has for me been a really good conversation and an encouraging and edifying one. Um, and hopefully, hopefully everyone listening feels the same way. And I would definitely yeah. encourage you to not only check out Michael, but everyone else who he mentioned just a little bit ago and um, just, you know, keep your eye out for an year out for these kinds of things, you know, like the, these kinds of questions, they're, they're big and they're important and they're not just happening online and they're not just happening, you know, nationally, but this is even more so it's happening in our churches and people yeah. we know kids in our youth groups, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I would just encourage, encourage, hopefully, you know, I'm encouraged, sorry. And hopefully this conversation can serve as a bit of a, um, you know, spark some, some further conversations and further thinking on these topics that I, I just think they are such key pieces of what the church needs to be doing, especially with, 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 you know, teaching the next generation and stuff. Right. But, but yeah, I, I failed to mention it maybe in the beginning, but that was my hope in bringing Michael on here and, and having this conversation. Not that we are going to be the three dudes who figure it all out and have all the answers and, you know, fix all the problems in the world, but to just begin a dialogue, to have, you know, a place to, to ask these questions, to discuss um, personal experience. And, uh, and hopefully those of you who are listening are like Michael um, in environments with healthy biblical community where you can, you know, dive further, take some of these questions, take these ideas, um, some of these resources and begin enacting real and an actual change, even if it's just in your own life and those around mm -hmm. you, um, it goes a long way. But um, as we wrap up, um, we like to do a little bit, um, you know, to maybe unwind from the conversation a bit as, um, you know, it's just a fun question to ask, but Michael, what have you been reading recently? Lucas and I both love books. We read a lot of books. Um, what, what, what books or articles have you been into recently? Yeah. Um, so I'm always reading, like I could you not like eight books at a time. I'm one of those guys. I'm like, and that's overly, me too. Yep. Yeah. I'm like an overly voracious reader. And so you'll find a lot of books by my nightstand and my wife rolls my eyes at me. But um, <laughs> yep. so right now what I'm going through is I'm kind of going. So one of the R's that I mentioned, really actually the first one of Revangelical is Retrieval and the um, importance of going back uh, to, you know, um, kind of the forebears and, and the church and, and the faith. And I'm kind of on a kick of uh, kind of a people um christians evangelical christians that were writing in the time of kind of the the late 19th early 20th century uh, the the mod kind of the modern era so um in terms of retrieval i've mentioned the original uh vision of evangelicalism or neo-evangelicalism and a huge person at the forefront of that was carl fh henry 
So um, I've already read a lot of his stuff, you know, The Uneasy Conscious of Modern Fundamentalism, which is a, a small book. Um, I have a, lot, a collection of a lot of his essays. I read his autobiography. But what I'm reading of his right now is I decided to dive in and try to read his magnum opus, which is um, God, Revelation, and Authority, which is, um, it's not like a traditional systematic theology in the sense of like, you know, say like a Grudem or a um, Berkhoff or, you know, Harrison or whatever, but it's some um, deals with more, at first, at least epistemological concerns. So like, you know, how do we, why do we believe, you know, um, or why can we have confidence in the God of the Bible? Um, and then he kind of goes into more kind of your traditional systematic theology stuff. So that's God, Revelation, and Authority. It's a monster. It's like a six-volume work. And, <laughs> and like Henry is like super thick. And 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 because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm also I've also started reading Bobbing's Reformed Dogmatics. Um, right. You know, it was just kind of it was staring at me at you know the TGC bookstore and. I, I couldn't say no and couldn't resist it. So I, I got that. Um, and then I'm also um, reading uh, the critical, the, the critical uh, biography on Bobbing by James Eglinton. Yeah. Um, I've read some of it already, but I'm kind of recurring to it. Uh, really fascinating. Um, Carl Henry and, uh, and Herman Bobbing, they, um, they're, I think, two really good figures in, theology and dare I say evangelical theology that would be really good to just kind of retrieve and mm. recover you know mm. um uh, both had once again both were addressing a lot of um concerns as orthodox christians in the modern world um both very much had uh, a good understanding i think of justice and, and praxis um and i think but and yet they were you know once again rooted in orthodox biblical christianity um so yeah uh so yeah uh carl henry god revelation authority volume one um bobbing biography by james eglinton and uh reformed dogmatics by by herman bobbing so all right <laughs> that's awesome well, uh, I think we've we've reached the end we we do want to say thank you michael this has been awesome and i and i hope um people have enjoyed this if if people want to reach out and connect with you if they want to follow you um where can they find you i know i mentioned your twitter but maybe you want to plug that again or some other places yeah uh so i'm pretty active on twitter i have to take breaks down again but um my twitter um I'm, i go by the confessing millennial uh, also the name of my blog which i you know i i haven't written on as consistently but i'm very active on twitter the confessing millennial my handle is confessing without a G and then mill. I can't remember for the life of me if it's one L or two L's with mill, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can connect with me on Twitter, you know, kind of see what I'm all about. Um, one other shameless plug in terms of the whole revangelical thing, I actually made a list um, on Twitter about of uh, evangelical Christians that I think are trying to pave that revangelical path forward. Um, not monolithic don't 100 percent agree with necessarily all of them 100 percent, but i think they do a really good job of trying to move the conversation or push the conversation forward so um but yeah my my twitter uh confessing millennial sweet 
All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology podcast. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter as well and Instagram at Doxology podcast. You're also welcome to email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome your feedback, questions, episode ideas. Um, just tell us how your day is going, whatever you want to do. Um, we love to hear from you. And until next time, peace. See ya. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.